Our reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 14, reading verses 15 to verse 31, and you'll find this on page 901 of the Church Bibles. John, chapter 14, at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells, dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Please keep your Bibles open, um, because we're thinking about a topic that creates a lot of excitement and confusion in Christian circles. We're thinking about God the Holy Spirit, and we should be excited. As we'll see, it's an extraordinary um, he is an extraordinary blessing. And it's deeply sad that there's so much confusion, to be honest. And so this week, as I've been grappling with John 14, 
a deep passage. My prayer, and I hope all of our prayers, is that the words in my mouth would not be mine, but would be the Lord Jesus. Please keep looking to check that and follow along. Throughout my Christian life, I've heard all sorts of different things about the Spirit, um, believed all sorts of different things about God the Holy Spirit, um, especially in my teenage years. I'm hoping tonight will help us see what Jesus thinks of his Spirit. You'll see there's an outline on the inside uh, tonight of the service sheet that may help you know where we're going. We'll spend most of our time on the left page. But let me just remind us where we are in John's Gospel. Robin said that we're at the moment when Jesus is saying goodbye. It's the Last Supper. Uh, he's being betrayed this very night. Judas has already headed out to, to tip off the enemies. Death is just around the corner. Um, and back in chapter 13, verse 33, uh, Jesus dropped the bombshell. Little children, I'm off. Since then, the disciples have been asking questions Questions like Peter's in 1336, Lord, where are you going? And Or like Thomas, 14 verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Or Philip, 14 verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. The last question was about experiencing God. The disciples are full of questions. Of course they are. I mean, Jesus is about to disappear. How are they going to cope? Life was hard enough with him along their side. And throughout chapter 14, Jesus' purpose is, is to reassure them. Just look at how the chapter starts, 14 verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Then look down at verse 27, near the end of the chapter. Uh, Peace I leave with you. And the end of verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. At the start, don't let your hearts be troubled. At the end, don't let your hearts be troubled. And actually in the middle, verse 18, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. So the disciples may feel like they're being abandoned, but actually that's not what's going on here. Jesus is reassuring them it, it's okay. I won't leave you as orphans. Well, that's all very well for you to say, Jesus, but you are leaving us. You just said that. And we have found things hard. It's been a hostile world already around them. When you were standing right by us, it felt hard. So what are we going to do when you're physically not around? That's the background. That's the feeling in the air during our passage. And it may be a feeling that some of us kind of resonate with. Wouldn't Christianity be a whole lot easier if the Lord Jesus was walking around Morningside physically? wonder if we sometimes feel, Lord, why did you leave the church to go it alone after your resurrection? Jesus says tonight, I will not leave you as orphans. And actually, as Robin said, Jesus wants us to know that him going away, far from being a disaster, is actually a step forward in God's plan. It's good for the disciples, and it's good for us. Just flick across um, to chapter 16, verses 5 to 7. The, the reference is wrong on the, on the outline. Sorry about that. Chapter 16, verses 5 to 7. Verse 5 is another reminder that he's going away. But just look at chapter 16, verse 6. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless... 
I tell you the truth. This blew my mind the first time I properly read it. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away, says Jesus. Why? Because if I do not go away, reading on, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Jesus thinks it's better, better for him to leave. What could be better than having God in the flesh talking to you, having dinner with you? Well, Jesus thinks the Holy Spirit, the helper, that's who's better when I send him. Because once Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the dead and goes back to the right hand of the Father, he will send the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is so wonderful that it's better having him than Jesus in the flesh with the disciples. Absolutely mind-blowing. And as we get our heads around that, that will help us not be troubled, not feel abandoned like orphans, because Jesus has sent his Spirit. John 14 is talking about an upgrade in our relationship with God compared to what the disciples had. It's entirely right to be excited. That's the easy bit. We've got three questions to get our heads around what's so exciting and how it works, which is the bit we need to concentrate for. The first question, um, the easiest of the three, the first question, what does the coming of the Holy Spirit offer? Why is it so good? Chapter 14, verses 16 to 17 are tackling that. And you'll see that Jesus is speaking um, of asking the Father to send the Spirit of truth. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look through and see why that's such an amazing thing. But at first, it seems like Jesus is promising a like-for-like replacement. Just look at it. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, or advocate, or counselor, or friend who helps you. But notice he says, another helper, as in one like me. A person like me who's alongside you, helping you. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. Now remember, Jesus has just called himself the truth. Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. So Jesus seems to be saying, I'll give you a like-for-like replacement. I'm going away, but I'll send the spirit, another one like me. He even says that they already know the spirit. End of verse 17, you know him, for he dwells with you. How can they already know him? Well, I think because Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Just like they know the Father already. Um, Verse 7, verse 9. You've seen the Father because you've seen me. So it seems like it's a kind of like-for-like replacement. But then, end of verse 17, the amazing step forward happens. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A time's coming very soon when the Spirit will be in you, not just alongside. In fact, verse 20, which is after the resurrection, verse 19 is about the resurrection. Verse 20, just look at it. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus in them. 
That's what the giving of the Spirit can achieve. Not Jesus beside them, not Jesus miles away, who knows where he abandoned us to, Jesus in them. A total bond, as close as Jesus is with his Father. Nothing short of God, the Holy Trinity, making home in our hearts. In case you missed what's on offer that time round, Jesus repeats it. And it's understandable, we might miss it, because it's deep stuff. But verse 21 says it again, just halfway through 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Show myself to him. In case you didn't get it that time, just look at verse 23. 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's an amazing verse. Actually, the more you know how big God is, the more amazing it is. The holy God... Father, Son, Spirit will come and set up home in our hearts. One of my favorite books at the moment with my daughter, she's two, um, is a book, great, great children's book, The, the um, Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And it tells the story of the Bible saying how God um, set up a barrier to keep us away from him because he's too pure to come in contact with us and we'd be destroyed. Uh, there was a curtain, uh, a curtain in the temple. When Jesus died, the curtain is torn not just so God can be quite close to us, but in our hearts. Extraordinary thing. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm not leaving you as orphans. Quite the opposite. Our relationship's about to get better, closer. My father and I are about to take up residence in your hearts. It's an amazing thing. If you want to reflect on it more, read John 17, where Jesus kind of prays in this truth. It's an amazing, amazing prayer. Uh, We'll get there eventually um, around Easter. But just think, even in this chapter, just think what Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 2. He had said he was going away to prepare a a place for us, a house for us. And he is uh, eternity. But in the meantime, he comes to dwell in our hearts with the Father. It's the same word. The Father will dwell in us even as Jesus prepares a home in eternity. It's a glorious thing. Why is the Spirit worth getting excited about? What's the coming of the Spirit offer? Nothing less than God the Holy Trinity moving into my heart or yours. No wonder in verse 27, Jesus can talk about a quality of peace that transcends anything the world can offer. Peace I leave with you. You see, against all the trials and tribulations that the Lord Jesus went through, he had the peace of knowing his Father perfectly. That security, that love, that fellowship of being entirely right with the one who matters most, the God and creator of the universe. Perhaps some here have never known that peace. Perhaps you've never known a relationship with God. Well, Jesus says there's a way to have it. It's on offer. A peace that the world can't give you, but I can. So, what does the coming of the Holy Spirit offer? God the Holy Trinity making home in human hearts. 
Here's the most extraordinary thing. With more time, we'd look at how the whole Old Testament has been building up to this moment where the Spirit comes so that God's people can know him in a newer, deeper, intimate way. But we've got a second question to think about. So on to that. Question two, who experiences this huge blessing of the Spirit? I hope we might want to know the answer to that question, having seen what a massive blessing it is. Um, whether you are just kind of looking in on Christian things for the first time, maybe you haven't really thought about God before, or you're, you've just become aware that you and God are quite distant and are wondering how to put that right, maybe that's where you are. Maybe some of us have been Christians for a little while, but sometimes we're a bit nervous. Do I actually have the Holy Spirit? I've heard people talk about him. How do I know if I've got him? You may have been told that you have like a little bit of him, like, like a, sometimes it's described as a, a kind of pilot light on the boiler. You have a kind of starter flame, but you haven't got the full-blown um, whoosh. If you really want to flourish as a Christian, you may need to do whatever techniques being recommended to make that happen. Others of us may have been a Christian for a long time, uh, and we believe we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but we wonder why our Christian lives have become a bit dry, a bit kind of dusty, Sounds so exciting in John 14, but what's going on in my heart? What's happened to my walk with the Lord? I think all of us need to ask this question. Who actually experiences this blessing of the Spirit? And to answer it, I want you to look at all the bits I've so far ignored in verses 15 to 24. I don't know if you noticed, I was tiptoeing around some phrases. I kept missing them as we went through. We looked at the benefits, but we didn't look at who gets the benefits. Let me show you them now. Verse 15, for example. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 16 goes on to promise the Holy Spirit. If these apostles love Jesus, then two things follow. One, they keep, they keep his commandments. Two, he'll pray that they'll get the Spirit. So who gets to experience the blessing of the Spirit? Well, the ones who love Jesus in this passage. And so keep his commands, his words. They're the people that verse 20 is offered to. It actually happens again in verse 21. This time it's broadening out. It's not just you apostles, it's everyone. Verse 21, whoever, whoever what? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I'll manifest myself to him. It's there in 21. Same point. 15, if you love me and keep my words, I'll send the Spirit. 21, whoever has my commandments loves me, and I'll show myself to him. At that point, Judas asks a question. He's obviously the one who's really following along. And he's like, hang on, hang on, Jesus. It sounds like you're saying God's only going to show himself in this way to certain people. Is that what you're saying? That only those who are basically Christians, only those who are disciples, who love the Son, who do what he says, only those people. Verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? It's actually a really good question because he's getting the point. He may be asking it because he, he's thinking about the Old Testament where God, there were promises that God would show himself to all people. Maybe that. It may just be he's got friends or family who aren't Christians who don't know about Jesus, and he's thinking, oh, are they not going to get this blessing? It's a really good question. And just look how Jesus answers it. Verse 23, 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Hang on, that, he's just said exactly the same thing again. Did you notice that? Verse 21, verse 23, exactly the same thing again. Jesus says, hang on, Lord, that sounds like it's just for a certain group of people who, who love Jesus and listen to him. And Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make a home with him. Jesus just reinforces exactly what he said. And to make it even clearer, he, verse 24, puts the flip side in. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. That means four times in this passage we're told exactly the same thing. Four times. We've already heard last week, 14 verse 6, that Jesus is the way to the Father. Now Jesus is saying, I'm the way to the Spirit. If you love me, Jesus says, and my words you obey my words, that's who experiences this fullness of the Spirit, this, uh, this uh, God the Father coming to make home in our hearts. At the very least, that underlines the point we heard last week that um, in terms of different belief systems or different religions, uh, however they may claim to be spiritual or a way to, to God in some sense, Jesus said, well, you don't get the Holy Spirit if you don't know the Holy Son, me. And if you don't know me, you certainly don't get the Father. That means whatever background you're from in here tonight, if you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. Similarly, even within kind of Christian circles, sometimes people speak of movements of the Spirit, and it can be very hard to work out, is that really God or not? can be very difficult. But actually, Jesus gives us a really simple test. Does this movement of the Spirit draw people to love Jesus and his words? If so, the Spirit may well be um, on the move, which would be a wonderful thing in this nation at the moment. But sometimes people will speak of their own kind of word churches and there are spirit churches. That cannot be right when Jesus holds the two together so tightly. My words my spirit. Those are some of the implications. Um, To be honest, I think there are a hundred questions that come into our minds as we start to process this point, that it's those who love Jesus and obey his words that get the spirit. This has been, um, I've been grappling with this all week. Here are some of the questions uh, I've, I've thought about. I'll tackle some of them. First off, are we sure that love and obedience go quite that closely together? I think for some of us, we think, well, loving Jesus is over here, whereas obedience and commands, obedience to commands, sounds a bit kind of rigid and formal. That's one question. Another question we might have is, is this talking about becoming a Christian or going on as a Christian? I'll address that in a moment. We might be thinking, this is the one that scared me most, do we have to hit a certain level of loving Jesus, a certain level of obeying Jesus, and then the Spirit comes. How are we supposed to respond to this clear, fourfold repetition that it's those who love Jesus, who obey his words, that get the blessing 
of God coming to dwell in our hearts. Well, let's start with this issue of whether love is the opposite of obedience, whether obedience and love can really go as closely together as Jesus says. Um, Because I think sometimes we can pick up the suggestion that maybe a spirit-filled person loves Jesus in freedom and so doesn't really need things like obedience or commands or rigid rules from Jesus. I think I've thought that lots of times in my life. I need to say that's nonsense. Whenever you find yourself disagreeing with Jesus, it's not Jesus who's talking nonsense. I think in our culture, lots of us think of love purely as a feeling, a kind of sentimentalized view of it, nothing like love as a verb. But actually the Bible makes it clear that that obedience to a command and love go hand in hand. In fact, you can see love when you see someone obeying a command. Don't take my word for that. Just look down at verse 31. Just look down at verse 31. Another extraordinary verse in this amazing passage. Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me. He's talking about going to the cross. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus says, you want to know if I love my Father in heaven? Well, I I obeyed him. Obedience and love, hand in hand. And if, therefore, if there are any of us who've played down obedience in our Christian lives or played it off against love, if we've taken the Lord out of Lord Jesus, my friend, well, this is a good reminder. Actually, the spirit-filled life is filled with love and obedience, love expressing itself as obedience. With more time, we'd look through John's Gospel to see what Jesus' big commands have been. Um, Very briefly, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, believe in God and believe also in me. Jesus keeps giving the command to believe in him, to trust him, to trust what he says. It's one big command in John. Another one we looked at two weeks ago, 1334, chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. Someone who loves Jesus, trusts what he says, and loves his people, cares for those um, he died for. Later we'll see that witnessing for Jesus is another way uh, to live out obedience to him. But the key point is, the spirit-filled life loves Jesus, yes, but expresses that love in obedience. And that actually should be real reassurance to some of us. We're all different personalities, aren't we? Um, Some of us will will have very tender consciences. We may always be wondering, kind of, do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus enough? I actually learned a new word, a new Scottish word. I'm picking up Scottish words. This is the new one of the week. Fankel. Fankel? Is that Fankel? You've heard that? Good. It's not just a Robin word. It is actually a Scottish word. Good. (laughs) So, I'm about to try and use it in context. We can get ourselves in a fankle. Is that right? A fankle. Do I love Jesus enough? Is my heart pure enough? Do I sing with enough gusto? Do I pray with enough sincerity? Am I loving enough? Actually, Jesus makes it very, very simple. Are you obeying me? 
If you're not a Christian here yet and you're thinking, actually, I would like a peace with my maker that the world can't give me. Well, it's very simple. You have to listen to Jesus, obey him. And the first thing he says is believe in me. So it's actually reassuring this thing that love and obedience go together. Um, But what if we see that obedience is part of love, but then we worry, and you, Fankel, we worry, what if I don't obey enough? Maybe, maybe my obedience isn't kind of uh, consistent enough. Have I really got the spirit if I'm not really obeying all the time? Um, now, we have to remember who Jesus is talking to at this point. He's talking to these disciples who are not perfect. Um, end of chapter 13, we've just been told that Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. Um, at the end of the passage, he actually rebukes them because they should be pleased for him that he's going back to the Father. He says, basically, you don't really love me. Um, so they're not perfect examples of love. That's partly why we need a helper to help us with this. So this takes a bit of concentration, but it's not, so tune in. It's not, if I love Jesus really well, kind of condition one, and then condition two, if I obey Jesus really consistently, then, result, I get the Spirit. Actually, it's more of a kind of virtuous circle. Those who come to Jesus in love listen to what he says, believe in him as he, as he commands, receive the Spirit. What does the Spirit help us do? Well, obey God the Son, God the Father, and love God the Son. It's like a, a virtuous spiral of the Spirit helping us to love the Son, us trusting the Son, obeying his word. That begins to answer the question, is this just how you become a Christian or is this an ongoing thing? The answer is both, I think. The reason I think it is chapter 15, so we can bounce this to next week. Please come back next week. But next week, Jesus tells us to abide in him. John's gospel was written not just so people believe initially in Jesus, but to go on believing in Jesus. And the vine picture next week is an illustration of tonight's passage. And if you don't get it tonight, come back next week. Um, But just flick across to chapter 15, verse 10. All this talk in 15 of abiding in Jesus, abiding in his love, staying in the vine. And then verse 10 of chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It's an ongoing thing. And it may just be if your Christian life is dry and dusty, you've stopped letting it be an ongoing thing in your Christian life. Listening to the Son, obeying the Son, expressing love as a disciple of the Son. So, point two, who experiences this huge blessing of the Spirit? Well, those who love Jesus and so obey his words. Now, you see on the right-hand side of the handout, I had a few arrow points uh, which were pointing out the kind of flip side of this. Jesus is so clear on what it looks like to have God, by the Holy Spirit, take up residence in our hearts. He's so clear on that that it does rule out some other options. And there are all sorts of claims about how you can get in touch with God or get in touch with his Spirit. Um, I'm not actually going to spend very long on here because I was reminded as I prayerfully reflected over the last few days on it 
that actually the purpose of the passage is primarily reassurance. So I'm not going to spend ages here, but actually it is reassuring sometimes to know if, if we've suddenly got nervous because someone came along and said, oh, actually this is the way to really get the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to slightly think about these things um, to reassure us. Let me say that if someone comes along uh, with a Christian movement or some Christian teaching or a Christian course that offers people the Holy Spirit without pointing them to Jesus and his words, that would make me very nervous. I hope it would make us all very nervous. Do you see that? If Jesus says, I'm the way, if Jesus says four times, if you love me, if you obey my words, then this glorious blessing of God dwelling in the hearts um, will come. If Jesus says that, then any group or movement that's not pointing to Jesus and his words should make us really nervous. If the Spirit effectively offers an experiential backdoor to knowing the Father, quite apart from the Son, that's a real worry. The Spirit of truth points to and confirms the truth, which is Jesus, I am the way, the truth, the life. Likewise, sometimes people will claim to love Jesus but not have much time for his words. But actually, at that point, it does get a bit complicated because very few Christian groups or movements or churches um, actually come along and saying, I don't care about Jesus' words. Usually the discussion is, where do you find Jesus' words? Do you see that? We've just seen it's really important that we love Jesus and his words, but the real question then is, well, where do we find the words of Jesus? And we need to know that there are competing claims for that. There'll be some um, kind of institutions of church that say, we represent Jesus' words. His spirit is speaking through this particular body, um, institutional church body. There'll be others who say, well, I have a kind of hotline to Jesus' words. Uh, in my heart, what I think Jesus is saying, he is saying. And when those claims compete, it's very hard to work out who actually is speaking, of Je- speaking for Jesus. But actually, wonderfully, Jesus doesn't leave us orphaned without an answer. Verse 25 and 26 tackle exactly this. We've just had verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So words are pretty important, verse 24. In fact, verse 24, the word you hear, it's not even Jesus' words, it's the Father's words that he's brought to us. So then we're asking in Edinburgh in the 21st century, where do we find these words? The words of the Father that the Son brought, the words of Jesus, where do you find them? Well, verse 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. It's great that that we should be excited about the Holy Spirit, not just because by him God dwells in our hearts, but also because by him these apostles whom Jesus is speaking to were able to remember what Jesus said. And it is remember. Just look at the verses really closely again. Um, Verse 26. 
The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I've said to you. This isn't primarily a, a promise to us. It's a promise to the people in the room. That's why verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. These eyewitnesses were commissioned to be official spokesmen of Jesus. And the promise here is that they will be reliable spokesmen. Not dodgy memories. Not putting their own prejudice on it. Not being selective about picking out the bits they like. No, the Spirit will help them remember all things that I've said to you. It seems in this section that important things get said more than once. So just flick across the page to chapter 15, verse 26. 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Crystal clear a second time. You guys who've been with me, witnessed me firsthand, I'll equip you with the Spirit to be my witnesses. Remember Judas's question? How on earth are my friends going to hear about this? How am I, how's my family going to find out about Jesus? If you're about to go away, Jesus, and if apparently now you're only going to reveal yourself to people who know Jesus' words and trust Jesus, well, how are they ever going to hear? Jesus' answer is, my spirit will not just bring the, the holy God into your heart, those of you who trust Jesus. He will also prepare you, the apostles, to, to, to put my words down for the whole world to hear. And the evidence is that we're reading John's gospel, written by one of these men. And we trust it. We think it's reliable because of these promises from Jesus. So, let me just sum up the chain of our three questions. What does the coming of the Holy Spirit offer? Well, the most amazing privilege. God, the Holy Trinity, the creator of the universe, living in my heart with a peace that the world cannot match or offer. Being drawn into the eternal love, Father, Son, Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit offers. Who gets that huge blessing? Well, those who love Jesus. It's as simple as that. And if you love Jesus, you'll listen to what he says, obey his commands. Wow, okay, so if Jesus' commands and words are so important, how can I be sure where to find Jesus' words and commands? Answer, well, my spirit will make sure that they're available to the world through the apostles, through this book. It may just look like a book, but this was written by God the Holy Spirit to enable us to trust God the Son so that God the Father, Son, and Spirit can dwell in our hearts. It's an amazing thing going on, and Jesus says that's an upgrade from him, being, from him walking around. time to end. Um, here's an insight into me. When I was a student, I think this, is, this actually is true. I don't think I'm just exaggerating. When I was a student, I equated how much spiritual life was in a church 
basically with whether there was a drum kit and whether the drummer was any good. I know that's silly. Um, I play drums, so it mattered a lot to me. But I just, I, I had a sense of if the worship is, in terms of the singing, if the worship is kind of really full of life, the spirit must be here. And then I went along to a, a church that had things like liturgy and hymns, and I struggled for a while. I thought, this place must be dead spiritually, because that was my criterion. Thankfully, uh, the Lord held on to me long enough that I began to realize if I'm hearing so much about loving Jesus, if I'm seeing that these people love Jesus and his words, maybe actually there is spiritual life here and my criterion is wrong. Now, actually, I still love drums. I, I, some of my happiest times singing were um, in Uganda where people were dancing and playing all sorts of rhythm instruments during music. But that's not the point. That's just a tasting. The issue is, do people love Jesus and his words? And wonderfully, the, the group I was with in Uganda did. And you can do that with choirs and candles. You can do that with whatever we have, a black box and, and various instruments. You can do it with, with a kind of jumping um, rhythm section. That's not the issue. The issue is, do we love Jesus? And do we love his words? And the place we'll go if we do is the Bible. Because Jesus, by his spirit, equipped his apostles to speak his words to us. I know the Bible sometimes doesn't feel very spiritual looking at it. If that's where you're at at the moment, you may have forgotten the close connection between God the Son, God the Spirit, and the apostolic word. Let this be a reminder. It may feel dry because we've actually stopped obeying. It's an ongoing process. Abide in me. Lack of obedience will always um, lead to a weakened relationship. Not that we lose the Spirit, but if we're not walking in step with the Spirit, it has an effect. It may be that we've had our heads turned by some more glamorous, more exciting-sounding claim about where the Spirit's at work. I saw an email this week about a conference where the fire will come. And whatever the technique that they would have offered, I couldn't see anything in the publicity about Jesus' words. Made me really sad. The Lord Jesus is just really clear. Verse 23, the Spirit will come to dwell in holy triune power and presence. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will come to, to him and make our home with him. You actually can't get more spiritual than that. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son. You so loved the world that you sent your son. That whoever believes in him, believes in his words, will not die but have eternal life. And this is eternal life, that we would know you, the one true God, and Jesus, the Son whom you sent. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We know without him, we wouldn't have had anything to read tonight, no sermon. Without him, we wouldn't have you living in our hearts. And so we pray for each and every one of us. We pray for those who don't yet know you, that, this, that you would open their eyes and encourage them to put their trust in Jesus. We pray for all of us who do know you, that we would 
a fresh walk in love of the Lord Jesus and obedience to his voice. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.